Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Hey everybody, welcome once again to the table. Here we are, we are all in the same boat, we are all in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Who knew when this year began that we would be right here? And yet, here we are. A few days ago, I was thinking... There's so many stories bound to be out there. Pandemic blues and praises. Some days you're singing the blues. Next day you're singing praises. Some days you're doing both. It's a blend and it's a mixture of both. And I sent out a quick email to several of my friends and just said, hey, do you have a story? And several of them responded. Today I've invited a couple of these guys to come to the table and share their story. One is the worship arts ministry pastor at Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham, and the other is pastor of the 23rd Street Baptist Church, also in Birmingham. So one's connected with worship music, and the other one is connected with the Word. I'm going to let the music guy go first, just like we would if we were in church today. Let's listen to my good friend, Michael Adler. I am on, online here today with Michael Adler. Michael, last time we talked, it was a different season, Christmas season. I named your episode, Step Into the Wondrous. And here we are in the Love midst it. of a pandemic. And I would almost call this episode, Step Into the Wonky, because we have uh, really, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. how you doing? Man, if you're not flexible in these days, um, you're, you're going to really be in trouble. And if you can't adapt and adjust, in, in church world, our challenge is to, to stay in ministry, connecting and helping people. We, we have actually divided up our 5,000-person mailing list in our church, and every person is being called on a regular basis. How are you doing? What can we do to help you? Wow. And, um, it's it's tough. We we record our music. I mean, we recorded our music in my house for Easter. Um, my family, since the the limits of numbers of people were were established, we could only put so many people in any certain place. So I thought, well, I'm quarantined with six people, including my mother-in-law. So five of those six people would be happy to participate. So that's what we did. Wow. And gathered around the piano, brought a couple other musicians in to join us, and that's what we did for Easter. It was wonderful. Just yeah. great. Have an absolutely beautiful place for that. So thanks. You and our friends, uh, and I noticed on Facebook the other day, you, you had a story, uh, kind of a surreal type story, and uh, I wanted you to talk about it because we're talking about pandemic blues and praises today. And so, yeah. Well, man, um, it, it is it is quite a story. And when I when I wrote it down. When I wrote it down, I had to I had to get my cat off of the table. When I wrote it down, I I looked looked back over that and I thought, oh my gosh, that that is <laughs> for quarantine world, uh, things got had a whole different dynamic. So here's my story. Uh, this takes place last Tuesday. Linda and I were awakened by our fourth son, 22 year old Brady, at 3 a.m. Tuesday from another night of quarantine sleep. Brady knocked softly on the door and told us that he was going to drive himself to the ER because he was pretty sure he has appendicitis. I rolled over and I said, okay. Then Linda thought it might be a good idea if I got up and joined him. She actually said that in a way that I thought she might actually need it. So I got up. Backstory. 
Brady, since he was a little kid, was always aware of his own vitals. No, no kidding. He, like he would comment on his pulse rate or his blood pressure at such an early age. So he had actually self-diagnosed this whole thing a day earlier when he told us that he'd been doing some research and he decided that he had appendicitis. Of course, at that stage, um, we started asking the things that trained parents, aka physicians, normally asked like, what did you eat last night, honey? Or do you think it could be gas? Uh, he was courteously insistent and he spent the day doing regular things, but just a little less spring in his step. So fast forward again to last Tuesday, 3 a.m. He and I got on the road at about 3.45 a.m. and arrive at a mostly dark UAB Medical West ER. It is totally dark behind the glass doors and there's a yellow caution tape strung across every possible entrance. A uniformed guard comes out of a sliding front door wearing a mask. He's the check-in guy. Brady disappears. It's 4 a.m. and here I am in my truck waiting in the parking lot. I get a text a long while later and he says, it's acute appendicitis and they are taking it now. Wow. That's wow. it. No, no, more, no more info. Silence. I'm going, taking it? Here? Who is, who is taking it? More long pauses out in the parking lot. I finally hear back from him again. They're taking me by ambulance. Silence. I'm going, where? Who is taking you? When? 30 minutes later, I literally see an ambulance pull up to the building and a door opens and Brady is being brought out on a gurney to this ambulance. He has a mask on. Everyone has a mask on. I actually put a photo in this story and, and I think, Richard, you might have that photo of him be being loaded to the, to, the, um, to the ambulance. I actually got out of my truck and I'm hollering across the parking lot, hey, that's my son. Where are you going? Because, I mean, there's literally no, no communication. And you're, and you're by yourself waiting for information out in the parking lot. And the lady looks at me. What? She's got a mask on. I said, that's my son. Where are you going? <laughs> and she, she points inside the ambulance. And at that point, Brady is in the ambulance calling me on his phone to tell me where we're going. He said, just follow the ambulance. He texts me. They're doing it at Medical West. I text back. We are at Medical West. He texts back. It's the hospital, not the ER. So now the ambulance is pulling away quickly, and I follow. At one point, while I'm following a very fast-moving ambulance, I get a text from Brady. And the text says, with exclamation points, I see you. <laughs> so, so now I'm smiling and waving and trying to encourage him as I see his image in the ambulance rearview mirror until I realize that the image I'm looking at and waving to and smiling at with a mask on isn't actually Brady because if it was that would mean Brady was actually driving the ambulance would also be pretty weird and surreal <laughs> and, and quarantine world so the expressionless ambulance driver whose face was the one in the mirror was probably pretty stressed and actually seemed pretty humorless at this point. So they didn't see any joke in our... Anyway, there's a picture of that as well. <laughs> you can see this face looking back at me. He came out of surgery a couple hours later and according to the doctor who called me, all went well. So we went to pick up Brady at the end of the very same day. He called us and said, I'm ready, or texted us. When we arrive at the circle pickup area in front of the hospital, he was standing alone on the sidewalk with his backpack on, fully dressed, his hair was tousled, and he looked quite bleary-eyed, having only been conscious for a couple of hours. As we pulled up and I saw him there, I told Bindi he looked like he was waiting for a bus. He'd only been conscious for two hours. Social distancing indeed. The end of the story is Brady said that they actually walked him to the door, the sliding doors opened, he walked out, and they stayed behind the doors and let him walk out on his own. We're, we're just glad he's home. Wow. So that is the end of the story. Wow. And I can just imagine as a parent, all that was going through your mind at that point, but the way that story ended 
with him standing out on the curb, that's the most mind blowing aspect of that of all. I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I wrote the story and, and lots of people responded with, with great empathy and maybe amusement at the story itself. Um, and happy that Brady was okay. And, and one or two jumped on the hospital staffers. And I said, man, I'm, I've got nothing negative to say about those people. They're all doing the best they know to do. And yeah. they're operating under the, the you know, constrictive uh, limitations that, that their environment has dictated now. So they're, they're doing their best. Yeah. No, nobody was at fault for anything. They, they took care of them. The doctor was kind on the phone, but I mean, Brady said the halls were empty and it was, it was surreal. By the way, when he got out of my truck to walk into the darkened front lobby to check in and the security guard came out to check him in, he told me after this, he said his first words to the security guy were, I'm here for an emergency appendectomy. <laughs> he was so sure he had, he had diagnosed himself correctly. And of course he had. That's what, he, that's what he was there to do. Wow. I can't tell you how many times through the years. I've never had an appendicitis attack, but I've thought, you know, maybe, maybe that's what it is. That's all. I don't know. That's been in my mind ever since I was a child. And uh, so that's amazing. Yeah. Yep. So takeaways from, from this, because like I say, you got drawn into this world a little deeper than perhaps some of us have who have been, where the, where the most stressful part of our month has been going to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in seven days, we've had uh, an, an emergency appendectomy and a 30-hour labor birth. <laughs> wow. All, all, all with our family. So it's been, and Easter by the way. <laughs> Easter in between. Yeah, we always put that kind of stuff around big holidays. Yeah. I, I, w I was wondering about that, the takeaways of this thing, and I, I am seeing that um, these conditions put a microscope or maybe a magnifying glass over our personalities. You get a very close-up view of really what we are under stress, what we how we respond to challenges or to difficulty or pain um, or loneliness or just the stress of uncertainty. It's, it really is a, um, it's a, a glimpse at yourself. And a, the parallel to that is that God asks that of us. Um, while it is called today, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. um, let the refiner's fire do what it's supposed to do in your life. And if we're willing to look at ourselves in that light, God's doing a work. Um, he's revealing character, character traits that, that we should be willing to, to shed. Um, if we're willing to look and he, he shows that, um, so the, the right-minded people, like the Bible says, um, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see um, will respond rightly because you realize that that information, that revelation, or that vision, that, that, that view that you have right now is from the Lord. It's of his making. And if he reveals that part of us to him, um, it is now our responsibility because we know um, to work on that part of our lives and, and let the refiner have his way. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's C.S. Lewis has said that um, something to the effect of his moments like these that we're living in. I mean, he's, he didn't say this cause he wasn't living back. I don't, he, these trying times, whatever the trying times of our lives are reveal what is inside of us. And uh, yeah. Hey, I, I, I put a, a post, a C.S. Lewis post on my Facebook page, maybe the first day or two of this being a thing. And it's C.S. Lewis's commentary on uh, an atomic bomb or the threat of an atomic bomb. Hmm. And it, it's so much of what he says. Um, you could just take that out and put COVID-19 in the middle of it, and it's 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 um, a commentary on life as a Christian 
in the middle of this. It's really, my, my God gave him so much wisdom. I, I draw on that guy yeah, all the time. Too. I do too. Yeah. yeah. When I went to the grocery store for the first time, when all this kicked into motion, I had two tests that day. I didn't know they were tests at the, at that point. And one of them I passed really well. Somebody clipped the corner and knocked all this display down and I stopped and helped them pick it up. But then when I got to the checkout and I was seeing the door, which was about 30 feet in front of me from checkout, the dear lady who was trying to run, run things was trying to tell me, you know, I was doing self checkout and, and I would, I had tuned her out and I failed that test and I walked away going, all right, Next time I walk in a grocery store, I'm going to be back to being me. So I went to the grocery store this morning. I danced in that down the cookie aisle. I actually just paused a minute and just did a little dance. I said, I am not going to fear. Yeah, though I walked through the valley of the, yep. the aisles of Winn-Dixie. It's just yep. like crazy that, you know, but. Yep. 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 I, um, I stood across from a cash out, cashier lady in the grocery store a couple of days ago with Linda. And um, I said, thank the Lord for Publix grocery store. And her face just lit up. She's mm -hmm. scanning all those groceries one at a time. And you know what she said? Thank the Lord for you. God gave us a job, a job to do, and we're doing that job and you're becoming our customers. So we're grateful you're coming in this place. So it, yeah. it works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I've struck up conversations both times with the employees and, and I just ask them, how are things going? And, and uh, I get, you know, just by pausing to stop and talk, that just seems to uh, alleviate something within them. So I think yeah. just, yeah. a lot of folks kind of locked in. So, but. Yeah. And, and it's weird. It's, you know, it's so weird. Pe people won't meet your gaze anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, we're all treating each other. Like, like we're all lepers. It's just very weird. Yeah. 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 You had an event. You said uh, you have a, I said a new granddaughter, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, late last night, 30 hours of labor. And <clears throat> then they decided to go with a C-section. And Chris, our, our second son uh, is a permanent character on the Rick and Bubba show. So he, he is the daddy and his cute wife, Erin is a brilliant school teacher they're just great people. And he shared today that Aaron at the 30 hour mark, when the doctor said we need to consider a C-section, Aaron was so disappointed, like she failed. <laughs> and Chris said to her, girl, you won this race. Let's have that baby now. So uh, they have been through it, buddy. They're <laughs> they wow. are just, just fried. But the, but, the baby's name is Ruby Jane, and oh my gosh, she's beautiful. These perfect little lips and beautiful eyes and gorgeous little nose. Oh man! Of course, we can't touch her. Haven't yeah. seen her, but 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 by way of video. So, I did. I had a, a little granddaughter born Friday, uh, Good Friday, and her name is Macy Wren. Maisie Wren. I almost said it wrong. Maisie rhymes with Daisy Wren barge and uh yeah it's kind of surreal just looking at your new grandchild over social media or over FaceTime. Uh, but i'm grateful to yeah. have FaceTime. yep uh, same here the technology has has served us well hasn't it it has All right. i asked you a moment ago what's your grand what's your grandparent name <laughs> my grand my grandparent name is thor i love it <laughs> and i told you mine is cool papa uh, cool Papa. Papa, which is named for a Negro League baseball player, Cool Papa Bell, and I proudly carry his name. That's so cool. I, I'm, I, I just, the quick story on that name is that I'm, I'm from Minnesota, and I lived in Minnesota and Wisconsin all my life, and if you were a grandparent there, you are Grandpa Mike, or Grandpa Michael, and Grandma Linda, that would be our, our names there. In the South, it's a whole other story, and I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, so coming down here, when people found out that we were about to be grandparents for the first time, uh, which is five years ago, um, many people would ask us, so what's your, what's your grandparent, grandparent name going to be? And I would say Grandpa Mike or what, whatever. And, and every time you'd get shot down, no, you know you can't do that. you got to pick a name. 
uh, for your grandkids to call you. And it just bugged me. I just thought that was what a dumb idea that is. And (laughs) of course, of course I was so wrong. Um, Finally, one of the most pesty ladies kept asking me. And one day I just got up and she asked me that question again. And I said, okay, if I get to pick, I'm going with Thor. And she, and of course, she goes, no, you can't pick Thor. That's not a grandparent name. That's a grandparent name. I'm going for it. If I get I to pick, it. I'm going for it. And, of course, there was a pushback on that. But my kids, my oldest son and his wife, played my bluff. And uh, that little Lily that, that uh, was born, when she could, her first, some of her first words, one of those was Thor. And so she and her little brother, they know no other name for me but Thor. So Linda is Mimi and, and I'm Thor and we'll be with us in this group. <laughs> That's awesome. And I just yeah. hope when this pandemic is, uh, is over, your hair is not as long as his is. <laughs> but it might I know. Be. <laughs> yeah. The haircut thing is a thing, man. Right now we got to deal with that. Yeah. Yep. Well, man, I appreciate you connecting with me. Any other, any other worlds, words of wisdom? I always enjoy talking with you and, uh, iron sharpens iron when I get around you. Well, thank, thank the Lord. I feel the same way. You're, you're so adventurous in this um, desire to, to find out, just to hear, hear other perspective. It's just really, really says a lot, a lot about you and your will, willingness to be transparent and all this. So yeah, God's doing something. And, and man, if you, if you don't see that now, you really don't have uh, your your eyes or your heart open. You've still got a heart of stone. And if you're listening to this and you are in the in that place where um, you know your own heart, you, you know where those strongholds are, um, it is it is indescribable to be able to lay those burdens or those strongholds on the Lord and let him carry them and the freedom that you feel from letting go and being who he created you to be is pure delight. You don't have to play anymore. You don't have to posture anymore. You don't have to pretend or you can be broken. You can be a mess before the Lord and he accepts you like you are. And then he wants to grow you into his image. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Wow. That's a good word, my friend. Thank you. Uh, my brother, and uh, I hope uh, maybe uh, your, the rest of your adventures in quarantine are uh, uh, equally as exciting as they have been. I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> we could actually use a little calm right yeah. now. Well, so. I hope you have, maybe you have a calm week coming up. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, my Enjoy friend. God bless you. Always bless love you. you, my friend. Bye. See you. Well, if you have friends and family members who have been in the hospital these past few weeks, you can definitely relate to certain aspects of Michael's story. One of the joys of doing a weekly podcast is all the wonderful people I get to meet and the brand new friendships that have come out of this. This next guy is one of these relationships. I treasure the friendship I have with Banneker Hatcherson, such a great guy, such a, a man of God. I'm grateful to have him come and share a little bit about how this pandemic is impacting him and his church and how God is speaking to him during this particular time. Let's give him a listen. Hey, I'm on, on a line now with my good friend Banneker Hatcherson. Banneker, it's so good to see you. Good to see you, likewise. I, I wish we were at Sweet Tea right now. I miss it too. I've actually, I've actually gone once. I've once, once I've gone once since the, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, so they're allowing you, of course, to do takeout, and uh, I basically went just to see everybody there. Yeah, it's. Uh... I'm looking forward to sitting down at a table again. Uh, right. You're my dear, dear friend. You're pastor at 23rd Street Baptist Church. You've been on the podcast before, and I just kind of wanted to get you on board here and kind of see how things are going with, uh, with, with, your, with you and, you know, what God's teaching you through this time and, and just uh, anything you want to share. Yeah, well, it, it, it started off uh, for me. 
with a stubborn determination to keep things as normal as I could. And, uh, and so we, we began having worship service with the, the social distancing. But uh, for the most part, it wasn't too much of a transition. But then as, um, as the, the panic increased, Mm-hmm. Then we had to scale down and we were already doing some social media uh, live broadcast. So that part wasn't a major adjustment, but um, I think the biggest adjustment for me was as a pastor trying to be as aware as I could be. And so I was on conference calls I think one day I was on five conference calls. And so each day it was a minimum of three for about two weeks, trying to really be enlightened as to what they were discovering about the coronavirus, what mandates they were putting in place, where at that point they were recommendations. And... uh, and, and just trying to stay abreast of that so that I could be informed enough to make decisions as a pastor. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so after about two weeks of that, uh, conference calls became um, a, a, a heavy burden and I had to make the decision to say, okay, that's enough of that. So I guess it's, it's, it's one of those things where this has become what Thomas Paine says, the worst of times and the best of times, mm-hmm. um, because in the process of that, I began to see the the need for the church to not just be a place where we worship God, mm-hmm. but it has to be a people who serve God for the wider community. And um, and so I actually have a handbook that I pulled together, um, phase one, and we'll 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 expand upon on this uh, this handbook. But um, the chapter one is building on a solid foundation. Chapter two, preparing to plant in the spring, and chapter three, let food be thy medicine. So we're really talking about how we're going to minister to people in this season mm-hmm. while we begin to gather seeds, whether they're spiritual seeds, uh, financial seeds, uh, whatever we've got to do in preparation for the next season, which is spring. This is a harsh winter, but spring is coming and, uh, and, and we want to be ready to plant in the spring. Yeah. Well. Wow. That sounds wise, and you know, this even if it wrapped up tomorrow, the aftermath is, is still going to be there. And the longer it lasts, uh, the the greater the aftermath. It's like a tsunami in a lot of ways. Yeah. The waves coming through now. You're in the hardest hit county in the state of Alabama as of right this moment, Jefferson County, Birmingham, Alabama. But uh, there's a there's a a good bit of ministry ahead yes. in all of this and the way it's in, impacting people's lives and going to continue to do so. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we know that life has its ebbs and flows. Uh, weeping may endure for a night. We know that night seasons, but we also know joy comes in the morning. Yeah. And so if we get overwhelmed in the night, then we won't be able to take advantage of the mornings. But likewise, if we get overwhelmed in the mornings, we won't be prepared for the nights. And so, um, so that's kind of what we're looking at now is, is how can we be better prepared so that the next crisis we're prepared for? And not just us as a congregation, but how can we prepare more people to have themselves ready for the next crisis. So we, we've, I've experienced a lot of losses in terms of 
loved ones dying during this season. And of course, uh, if anybody dies from anything now, people will assume it's the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think only one of those who have passed during this season was because of the coronavirus. But I've I've had within the month, uh, and when I say the month, I'm saying the month of April, and we're not through with April yet. I've had about six loved ones go. And, uh, you know, there's there's no way to kind of prepare for that other than knowing when you are healthy, it's appointed unto all men once to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, life is but a vapor, there's but a step between us and death. And knowing that it's inevitable for all of us, but death is not the destination, it's a transition. Yeah. And so we rejoice in our blessed hope, looking for our blessed hope, uh, knowing that uh, the graveyard is not our final resting place yeah and as your friend you know we're on facebook together and i just i've observed you have i've observed it's been one loss after another it kind of started before the coronavirus yeah. hit and, and i mainly posted pastors but i've had former members to pass in fact the very first wedding that i performed uh in in the early 90s, mid 90s, uh, the bride passed Sunday. And my home church, one of the deacons of that church that's known me all of my life, Sunday morning, he passed. Wow. Um, you know, so it's, and I, I could go through a, a list of others, but you know, death paints a dark picture, but Jesus always shines a light even on death's dark, death's dark portrait. Yeah. And what we celebrated last Sunday, uh, resurrection. He is alive. He is risen. He is ri- still, he is still risen. Here it is. We're talking on Wednesday. He is still risen. That's right. In fact, uh, uncontrived by any of these deaths, of course, uh, I preached Sunday, Jesus's response to death. And in that, Jesus is on the cross, John chapter 19, verse 30. He's on the cross. And, you know, uh, we talk about the seven last sayings of Christ, but God's voice is not heard from heaven on Calvary. Mm -hmm. So how does he respond to death? Well, he's silent, but he still wants to be heard. And often he's heard through the, uh, he's heard it through the process of death by the one that's actually dying. He's heard he's heard through suffering, through his servants who are enduring the suffering. And Jesus speaks, mm-hmm. and he defines the moment by saying, "It's finished," <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, in the Greek, and you and I have talked about that. It's really one word. He, he announced, finished. So it was not a cry of defeat. It was an announcement of victory. And I've seen that so many times. I've gone to visit sick uh, people in their sick rooms, whether it's a hospital or at home, and I'm praying and asking God for words to say, to speak faith to them, and they end up speaking faith to me. Yeah. And so often that's how God speaks. He does not speak himself. He speaks through his servants because he's poured into them before they get to that, that suffering point. Yeah. I watched Thursday night. First time I've seen it since it came out the theaters back in, I believe it's 2004. I watched the passion of the Christ Mel Gibson film again. And it was, it was very impactful. Um, and, uh, you know, here he was for six, well, b- actually before that six hours, but during that entire six hours, he was in control the whole time in an out of control situation. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And he allowed himself to be in put in that out of control situation, but he was never, it, it almost is a mind bender. He was never mm-hmm. out of control, but he was. 
Right. It's, it's not a contradiction. I mean, and I, I think that's part of the glory of our, our message, of this message, that, that it's, it's filled with juxtapositions, but when you encounter them, that makes sense. Even on that resurrection morning, they went to the tomb looking for Jesus. He was absent, but he wasn't gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So they couldn't see him, but he could see them. Yeah. And, and so that's, those juxtapositions come. So I, that's, that's what I've been seeking to um, pour into the body of Christ, that through this crisis, God is not on CNN. Uh, he's, he's not on Fox. He's not on MSNBC. But the church still has to speak in this crisis mm -hmm. to give definition of it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And a lot of times, somebody who's outside of the faith, they want to look at Jesus' story, and they'll make, they'll make references to being a fairy tale story. It's just a story. It didn't really happen, all those type things. And I'm like, man, have you read it? Because when you read it and you start seeing those juxtapositions, there's yeah. something in there. This ought to make your mind smoke. And he comes <laughs> to the conclusion that, man did not write this and man did not cause this to happen. This is the work of God from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the truth of it is if when, when you really see the story and you see Christ throughout the story from Genesis to revelation, no one person could have been brilliant enough to weave that story together. Mm -hmm. And then if there are multiple people, that would have been a miracle of ironies <laughs> that yeah. these multiple people could just happen to pull the story together. No, there's, there's one author. There are many writers, but God is the author of the book. Yeah. 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 I've, been, I've been a believer for 50 years now, and I'm still amazed, Banneker. I, I saw something in um, the Garden of Eden on yesterday that I'd never seen before. I never paid attention to. And that is, uh, after the fall, God gave them scans. You know, they wanted to cover themselves with fig leaves. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were not figs, so fig leaves couldn't serve as uh, appropriate aprons for them. Mm -hmm. But God gave them scans, a type of incarnation. And so they chose a type of incarnation so that they could become as gods. That's what the serpent told them. Mm -hmm. And Christ chooses to become who is God, to be incarnate, so that he became what we really were, so that we could become what he really is. Wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And so you see the gospel even in, in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. I, one of the things I noticed this year, and I've not caught it before, that, of course, the crowd, when he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they're shouting Hosanna, but the last individuals who actually shouted Hosanna were children in the temple on Monday. Mm. And I was like, they were still echo, echoing what they had heard their parents and their family say the day before. Wow. wow. And I was like, that was the last words, you know, that word, save us, came from the mouths of children. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a glorious story. And, 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 and for anyone who would prayerfully allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate that story there's just joy in in seeing fresh truth out of old whales yeah yeah has there been a moment where you would describe it as a god moment with, with um any of the any of your membership or maybe uh something you've been privy to or witnessed that you can actually share uh there in your congregation or I'm anxious to, to gather them back together mm -hmm. so that I can hear some of their stories because uh, for me, it's like each day 
it's something new. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what I've been saying to them. And sometimes as, as pastors, we can be presumptuous. Um, and sometimes, so I'm, I'm wondering, are, are y'all really having these encounters? Do y'all really see what God is doing? And so I'm, I'm, I'm eager to hear their stories, but I will tell you what we did Sunday was real encouraging. I, um, I said to them, I said, well, normally we have Lord's Supper on first Sunday. We didn't this first Sunday, but this is Easter Sunday. So this is what we'll do. I said, uh, you can come through the week and get your bread and cup, uh, have it in your car Sunday so that we can have, you know, live stream in the sanctuary, but you can be in your cars and we can still partake of the Lord's Supper together. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my deacons said, I, I can't remember what number he told me. I want to say he said, we, we're set up for 120 people. And I was like, well, that, that's fine. I said, but well, we won't have that many. Mm-hmm. He said, well, how many do you think? And I said, eh, probably about 20. Well, he was closer to being correct than I was. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, we we was we started at ten forty five, and the parking lot was just about full at ten fifty. Wow! I was delighted today. One of the news stations called, wanted to interview me about our our feeding program, and um, I was delighted that people are coming to the church and getting assistance during this season, and even more delighted that we were set up to be able to help. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's a joy and it, it brings to mind what Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Yeah, yeah. I missed being at 16th Street Good Friday. Wow, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, an, I mean, so many things in addition to the loss of life and the physical separation of members. I've had a lot of preaching engagements that I was praying up for that we haven't been able to go through. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of adjustments, but I, I, I think one of the things, you know, um, <clears throat> that word, that Hebrew word in, in the Psalms that's used occasional, occasionally, Selah, Mm-hmm. Uh, which represents rest. Uh, about a week ago, I think it was about a week ago, I, uh, long story short, uh, I had an ingrown toenail and man, that thing got infected. And it started on Friday night. I took it for granted because I've had them before, so I didn't take it as seriously as I should have. By Monday night, I couldn't stand up. And I think that was God's way of saying, okay, if you won't voluntarily rest, I know how to get you to rest. And uh, Jesus said to the disciples, come here apart and rest a while. And I've said to the the church before, if you don't come apart and rest a while, you'll just soon come apart. (laughs) And so um, I think even during that rest period, it was, it was, it was a, um, and I think all of this has been a rest period. The preaching engagements I was looking forward to, but God says, no, you need to rest more than, more than anything. Other activities that I would have been involved in, uh, you need to rest. And so I think, um, you know, God has, again, turned the worst of times into the best of times. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that I, it didn't really dawn on me until this year, because we celebrate the first day of the week, Sunday, the resurrection happened the first day of the week, and that's when uh, our churches meet on Sunday. I'd never really thought about that Saturday being Sabbath and that God rested and Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath day. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we again, it goes back to how brilliant the teachings of Scripture are. Mm-hmm that God, who is the divine order, orderer, you know, he, 
the divine orderer gave orders because he is divine. And when we follow his orders, he who creates life knows how to operate life. And if we don't function according to the way he wants to operate life, he has the authority to terminate life. Yeah. And so he made us and he knows how we are to operate. And he made us where we need rest. Yeah. And the Bible teaches that, the principles teach that, the seventh day rest. You know, God in his omnipotence wasn't fatigued after creating the, the world and had to rest, but he was teaching the principle from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so God has a way of if we get out of divine order, uh, he, he as the divine knows how to order us back in. Yeah, he is sovereign. You know, yeah, but, uh, and he's he's and he's good, and he can be trusted. So, man, every yeah. time I talk with you, it's iron sharpening iron. Man, I, it's always a joy. Always a joy. Man. Well, I appreciate you. I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to the, to the day, and it won't be too long. You know, we just a lot of times in our churches we say it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Well, we can <laughs> still say that. Because That's yeah, right. the ultimate Sunday has come, but right now we're in that period between that Friday uh, and we're in a stall. We're right in between, as far as what we've normally done. But God's not right. in the stall. Well, you know, He's got us where He wants us, and and it's a good place to be. Full. We'll, uh, yeah, because during the during the Friday, you wouldn't call it Good Friday, but mm -hmm. when Sunday comes, you look back and say, you know, that was pretty good. Yeah. 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 Well, man, I'm going to let you go on here. Uh, I'm going to tell tell the people goodbye, and we can stick on and stick around and talk another minute or two. But I just uh, want you to know how much I value our friendship. I appreciate you coming back on the table today. It's definitely the same, and I'm I'm looking forward to you sharing from the pulpit at 23rd Street, prayerfully before this year is over. Game on! I'm I'm, I'm I would be excited beyond belief to do that. So, all, all right. right. All right. All right. Put you on pause here. Let everybody go. Friends, those are just two of the millions of stories we could have heard around this table today. I have a story. You have a story. There's a lot going on right now. I have focused on prayer during this season. I have three particular prayers that I have begun to pray. My first prayer is this. I am praying for uh, God to do something in our midst that cannot be denied and that will never be forgotten. Second, I heard Dr. Mark Batterson, pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., say this on Resurrection Sunday morning. He said that he was praying that this pandemic will run its spiritual course. And I agree with that prayer. I've started praying that prayer. I do pray that God would receive our attention, our devotion, that we would be looking up and listening and leaning into Him like never before. And I pray that there would be such tremendous impact, so many good things, so many eternal things that are going to happen as a result of this pause button in our lives that we are all experiencing right now. And then my third prayer is this. This is a very personal prayer for me. In Ephesians chapter 5, I grew up hearing King James English, and this is how it states it in Ephesians 5, 16. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The New International Version says, making the most of every occasion because the days are evil. And I'm just praying for me. I'm praying that I would redeem the time. I'm praying that God's spiritual course would run through me. What does he want from me during this pandemic? How does he want me to emerge from this different than before I went in. And I want to fulfill everything that he is asking of me during this time. I want to redeem the time. I don't want to step out of this season not having done that or only halfway having done that. 
redeem the time. And in both translations, it's interesting. It says, because the days are evil. I understand that. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. And this pandemic, this coronavirus, that's part of the brokenness. But I also see life as such a beautiful thing. And it's because my perspective was forever more changed when I was 10 years old, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And that abundant life began the moment I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ. Kingdom come has already started within me. For many of you who are listening, it's already started within you. And I pray that for every person hearing this, if that has not begun in you, I want to let you know that can start in your life today. Kingdom come can begin now. You can begin to surrender your life to Christ. Just pray a simple prayer. God, forgive me. I am a sinner. I recognize I am a sinner, and I recognize and agree and understand that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I am asking your forgiveness, God, so that I may be forgiven of my sins. And I want to live my life for you from this day forward. I want to encourage you to do that right now if you've never done that before. And then see this opportunity, this moment. Time, redeeming the time, will have begun for you in that moment. God wants a relationship with every single person in this world. He cares for you. He loves you more than you can begin to comprehend or understand. But that's the truth. And not only does God love you, God likes you. Be encouraged Keep looking up, keep praying, and we'll be right back here next Monday morning right here at this table. And if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, tell somebody. Pick up a phone, send an email. If you know a pastor, have a friend you know who is a believer, share that with them and say, hey, I just prayed this prayer. What do I do now? And if you can't think of anybody, you're welcome to email me. My email address is whereverministries at yahoo.com. That's W-H-E-R-E-V-E-R-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S at yahoo.com. My name is Robert Barge. Look forward to having you right back here at this table come next Monday morning. Until then.